Welcome to The Good Mood Show with Matt O'Neill. This is the show to help you navigate the challenging moods we all experience as human beings and where you will learn the best strategies to feel the good moods and good vibes we all love to feel. Because when you feel like your best self, you are your best self. This is The Good Mood Show. Now, here's your host, Matt O'Neill. Welcome to The Good Mood Show. I'm your host, Matt O'Neill. Be sure to hit subscribe so you get a good mood every single week. And today we are talking with Bonnie Compton, who is a child and adolescent therapist and one of America's most trusted resources when it comes to parenting. This show is very close to my heart with our four young children. Uh, And even if you don't have young children, but you plan to one day, this is going to be a conversation you're really going to want to lean into. Bonnie has 30 years of well-earned wisdom, hard-won experience, and results-driven techniques that have transformed countless parents and kids around the world. Her best-selling book, Mothering with Courage, which could also be called Fathering with Courage, is the mindful approach to becoming a parent who listens more, worries less, and loves deeply. Bonnie, like me, is a parent of four children. They are now adult children. And she believes that being a parent is her most important job. Bonnie, welcome to the Good Mood Show. Thank you so much, Matt. I'm so excited to be here. I love your show. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, and we were connected by the Sophia Institute. Carolyn Rivers had connected us. I know you're doing a three-part series with her right now. Yes, we are this month, actually. I am a huge fan of Carolyn and the Sophia Institute. I'm sure you are as well. Absolutely. I've attended many of the workshops there, and I'm just honored to be one of the speakers now. It's like a dream come true. If you want to join that conversation after this podcast, just go to sophiainstitute.org, and um, and you can can listen to Bonnie and her counterparts on this month's series. Um, And what's really great, Bonnie has offered a free gift. It is her paper, Why Kids Don't Listen. Five Proven Steps to Motivate Your Kids to Listen Now. If you are already a subscriber of the Good Mood Show newsletter, I'm going to email you a copy of that great paper this week. If not, no worries. You can download it instantly at goodmoodshow.com. So, Bonnie, this is the Good Mood Show. Uh, Why is learning how to be an incredible parent, even if we don't have children, so important to our overall well-being? I really see parenting um, and why, I mean, there's many reasons why I'm doing the work that I'm doing, but I see the ripple effect. So whether you're a parent or not, when you interact with children, you have an amazing opportunity and responsibility to help send them healthy messages, to nurture them. Um, It doesn't take much to turn on the news or whatever and see how many wounded, reactive people there are on this earth now walking around. And aren't, aren't, aren't all adults just grown up children? They are. And we're here to learn from our children. We think it's the other way around. And I probably thought that as a young mom, Um, but they're here to teach us so many things if we're open to learning. I loved that you said that. Yeah. I read that in your book that our children are our teachers 
And of course, as a dad, I'm thinking, well, it's, it's really my responsibility to teach them. What are our children here to teach us? They're to teach us, here to help us grow and evolve, I believe. And so I always talk to parents about, you know, their child's behavior. They want to focus on what their child's doing wrong. And I always remind them that's not their true essence. Their behavior is not their true essence. But if you find you're becoming emotionally charged, they're pushing your buttons. They're pushing your buttons for a reason. And they did not install those buttons. I promise you. (laughs) They were installed a long time ago. They're just here to bump up against them and remind you, you have a choice and an opportunity to grow and begin to respond versus react. That is so wise. Our children didn't install our buttons. So if they are pushing those buttons, that's our work to do. Right, right. When I used to teach parenting classes, I had a mom once who had a 17-year-old son. And the thing that was driving her crazy was his lack of respect. And so that was her thing that she was holding on to. And I said, you know, can you think of anybody else in your life that you felt did not respect you? And she said, oh, my gosh. My first practice husband, as she named him, she goes, oh my gosh, my dad. She was able to see this pattern in her life. So, of course, she was even more emotionally activated um, when her son was, you know, fighting against her, resisting her. Yeah, and that's, you you had said in your book that we have to clear our past, so that we can parent in the present. And it can be difficult to clear our past. You know, I know your approach is very intuitive. So um, how do you coach, how do you coach us to clear our past? One of the sessions that I have with parents is um, tell me about your childhood and just tell me all about your childhood. And then I ask, What do you want to leave behind in your childhood and not bring forth into your parenting? What is it that didn't serve you that you don't want to repeat? And how do you want to be as a parent? So, you know, some people had a very good childhood. I don't believe there is any such thing as a perfect childhood. And so they want to do everything just like their parents did. I caution them, though. You are different. Your children are different. So you may want to do some of the same things, but also bring in other ways that you want to be as a parent. Or there could be someone like myself. I came from a very dysfunctional family. Our parents loved us the best they could. um, And I was going 180 degrees away from how I was parented. And that wasn't healthy either. And I put more pressure on myself and my kids and my husband at times. So um, I was trying to create a perfect childhood for our kids so they would never have to suffer. Yeah. Um, Somehow I knew that you had a dysfunctional upbringing because it's often that um, our pain becomes our greatest, our, our greatest attribute that we can teach the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, when I wrote my book, Matt, um, 
and people were learning about my work with parents, they would say, I wish I had someone like you when I was raising my kids. And I said, I wish I had had someone like me because I have learned this along the way. Was I a perfect mom? Absolutely not. Do I think I was a pretty good mom? Yeah, but I could have been better. Yeah. And each generation hopefully gets better and better and better with their parenting, right? So your book opens up with a story I related to so strongly about the mom that was totally exhausted. And Mm -hmm. my wife and I, thankfully, the two of us are on the same team. We've got a very strong marriage. We love and care for each other so much. And we love and care for our, our children so much. So that's that's on my side, you know, right. that I've got Katie. That's a big plus. It's a huge, oh yeah. man. Well, I was raised by a single mom. And, uh, and you know, mm-hmm. I just know how, how I, I can only imagine it with as tired as I feel at night, how tired she felt at night. I'm one of four as well. And she, she was working uh-huh. and um, so, but Katie and I will come home and it's like, we worked so hard during the day. And then we have soccer practice, gymnastics, make dinner, right. do the dishes, uh, you know, change the baby's diaper. We've got to brush the teeth. We've got to get in pajamas. We got to read the books. We got to do the bedtime. Yeah. And, and it's like, um, and we're, it's like, I feel like our whole life is this to-do list. And so you're, you're, you know, your, your book opens up with a mom who comes in and she says, I'm just so frazzled. I don't feel like I'm connecting with my children. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. advice do you have for those busy parents, the tired parents? I want to first say I have compassion for the busy, tired parents, because what you all are having to do or feel that you have to do, the, the pressures of society and how to be the best parent and two working parents and all of that is superhuman, right? I recommend, and I recommend it in my book, create your to-do list and then drop two things off of it that the world won't end, your family won't fall apart. So maybe, just maybe, the laundry doesn't get done. Maybe the dishes don't get done. What kids will care about and what they want to know is that you were there, that they were seen and they were heard. And as a mom, I remember saying with four kids, hurry up, we got to go here, hurry up, we got to, and I felt like that's what I was was saying. I'm like, what am I doing? It's hurry, hurry, hurry. Yeah, get your shoes on. We got to go. We got to go. Right, right. And so looking at your schedule, you know, I always help parents. I have them pick a typical day and usually a work week day, school day. And I want to know from sunup till sundown. And I want to see where I can help them, where things are running smoothly, where there are glitches. Often getting out the door is always an issue. Get shoes on, brush teeth, you know, all of that. Getting out the door is a major issue. Yes. Yes. And so I help parents with that because waiting for your kids to change their behavior, they're going to be waiting a long time. Right? And you've probably also noticed that kids don't like to be controlled. No. Yeah. As parents, we try to control them. Yes. Right? And what do they do? Rebel. Exactly. Resist. I don't like to be controlled. Do you? Uh, no, absolutely. I don't. That's the last thing I ever want is to be controlled. 
Right, right. And so with our oldest daughter, you could tell she bristled at just hearing me asking her to do something. She's an adult now. She still bristles if people tell her what to do. So I used to write on sticky notes, please, by five o'clock, have this done. And she wouldn't argue with the note. She'd argue with me, right? But when we guide our children to make responsible choices for themselves and allow them to to, um, experience the consequences of their choices, that's when we are raising little ones to become young adults, to become adults, right? Mm. The more we try to control, the more they push back. I can give you an example of this if... I would love it, yes. Okay, so I was working with a mom years ago. She and her six-year-old daughter were like this every single morning, that mom-daughter thing. And just, oh my gosh. And the little girl wanted a popsicle every morning for breakfast. Oh, so I don't mean to interrupt, but the yes. ice cream truck is parking right at school pickup on the sidewalk every day. Every day. Every day. And every day the ice cream truck is blaring the ice cream music. And every day and our kids are like, can we get an ice cream? And I'm like, and you're like, I've got it. I have got to like slash that guy's tires so he can't drive over there. <laughs> you want to go up to that guy and say, move now. Move. No, what are you can doing make- to us? Can I make a suggestion with that? If they're allowed to eat ice cream? They are, of course. Okay. Let them know. Pick a day, halfway through the week or whatever, that you would love to buy ice cream for them. And let's figure out a day when that's going to happen. Okay? So they're not constantly asking. They still may, well, what about another day? No, I've got this one day. Okay? So give them what they're asking for before they're begging for it. I like that. Wednesdays. Ice cream Wednesdays. Yeah. Ice cream Wednesday. So back to this mom with the popsicle. Yeah. You know, she would kick into the mom mode. You know, that's not healthy for breakfast. You know, da, 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 da. Popsicles for breakfast. You would be, you would be the most fun parent on the planet. Oh, exactly. Well, she, this, this is how they started every single day. So I said to the mom, How about if you explain to her, it is your decision if you want a popsicle today, but I want, let's talk about what that might mean for you. Okay. And she kind of walked through the whole day and how she might feel at school, just having this sugary thing and da, 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 da. And that would be her treat for the day. (laughs) You know, he walked her through. The mother had to just keep breathing deeply because she was about ready to have a panic attack as she saw the daughter walk over to the freezer, pull out the drawer, take out the popsicle, start peeling the paper off of it. And she was like, oh my gosh, I really have to let her do this. The little girl took one lick of it, covered it back up, put it back in, said, I don't think I want a popsicle and never ask again. Mm. The girl, and the dynamics in the morning changed. The daughter, the daughter made her own decision and yeah. she wanted to make a really good decision. Yes. And sometimes they won't make good res- decisions. But when, as a parent, if you try to control your kid's behavior at home, what are they going to do when they're out at school or a friend's house? Uh, right. 
and, and, and we know because I went to college and there were the uh, preacher's children who went totally crazy, like went wild, right? Went absolutely right. went off the rails, like, holy right. cow, this person didn't come right. home for three nights in a row. And it's because they were under so much discipline. But I know you also are a proponent of discipline. I am. One of the chapters is discipline is not a dirty word. And it's gotten this negative connotation. But discipline, disciple means to guide, to lead. Discipline, does. I'm not talking about punitive. I'm talking about letting your children make choices. This is not free-range parenting hands-off. It's letting them know. So, for example, say a child you know, bedtime's often an issue, trying to get kids in pajamas and all this stuff. And say you have a certain amount of time for cuddles and bedtime stories or whatever that is, letting them know you love that time with them. And you're hoping that you have all of that time. Here's the pot of time. But the more you're fooling around, it's eating up that time. Yeah. So you decide. Now, the important thing is following through. Because there's only so much time now, we can only do two stories. And the child, no, no, no. And, you know, and it, I'm disappointed too. I was looking forward to it. And I bet tomorrow you're going to make a different, a better choice. Hey, if you love to stay in good moods as much as I do, be sure to hit the subscribe button on the Good Mood Show podcast. That way we could get you a good mood every single week. And look, if you know someone else that could use a good mood, Share the show with them. Send them a text message. Let them know about the Good Mood Show and let's brighten up the world. So your book had a pretty interesting uh, chapter. It's, we need to tell our children the truth. Mm. Why is it so important to tell our children the truth? Family secrets, right? Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean they need to know everything. And the truths that you are telling them when appropriate need to be developmentally appropriate, right? I always say kids are intuitive beings and they pick up on our energy also. So if there's a family secret going on, they know something is going on, right? And they will often fill in the blanks if they're not told the truth. So in my own family, my dad was a loving, loving dad, and he was an alcoholic, and he was a binge drinker. So I was a daddy's girl when he was around. He often took business trips because he owned his own business, and I would hear my mom crying in the middle of the night, talking to him on the phone because he had spent all his money on alcohol and needed her to wire more money. I didn't know that he was an alcoholic. I didn't know anything. I just knew something was wrong. And so I grew up really not knowing. I think I figured out maybe when I was 15 or 16 when he wasn't coming home. And I finally confronted my mother. And I remember being so angry at him, but I was also angry at her for keeping the secret. So, how you know, if you could go back and, and, and coach your mom and your dad in that situation, how, how would you have had her and him handle that differently with you at, at, let's say, age 10? Right. Well, talking about that 
there are diseases. Sometimes they're physical diseases. Sometimes there are diseases in our brain. And that my dad had a disease that prevented him or when he drank, he had a hard time stopping. So when I look back, Matt, this is very interesting to me. You know, he'd come home. He would he was of the Mad Men era. Mm -hmm. He looked like I couldn't watch that show, actually, because it just brought up stuff for me. But he looked like one of the Mad Men. Yeah. And so he'd come home in the evening and I'd sit on his lap. And I always knew there was a certain smell. I guess I probably thought it was cologne. It was from martinis. Yep. That I didn't realize. Um, But I knew there was some unspoken resentment on my mother's part and anger. I didn't need to know everything about their marriage, but it would have been helpful to have an understanding that he had a disease. Yeah, it, it, this is just so tricky if he wasn't willing to own up to it. Right. But I knew there was something going on Yeah, in the family. And it prompted me to be the perfect daughter and the good girl because I saw one of my brothers rebelling a lot. Yep. And the other one shutting down emotionally. So I was hyper vigilant to make sure my mother was happy. Mm. and keeping the peace. Yeah. Which obviously did not serve me, but it related not only to his alcoholism, my mother had um, mental health issues herself. But, you know, you hear of people that talk about, I didn't find out until I was an adult that I had a sister. Right. I mean, there are a lot of family secrets. Or adopted. I didn't, or find, I didn't find out until so late that I was adopted. Right. Yeah. Or, yeah. That, or that my aunt was actually my mom. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. It's important to, and again, you have to decide what your child is capable of handling and that sort of thing. Well, I, I think, I, I always think honesty is the best policy for sure. And I like what you said. It has to be age appropriate explanations. So our our youngest, like you, is a little boy. He's two. He's the caboose. There's a four-year gap between him and his three older uh-huh. sisters who are all two years apart. Uh, you know, I've seen in some families that the baby kind of gets babied for a long time. And sometimes the baby, the family, doesn't take life as seriously. They're super fun loving, but maybe don't do as well in school and hang around the parents' house a long time after graduation. I don't want that to happen with our youngest. What what are some recommendations you give families about how to, to keep that youngest with some good expectations too? Well, it's funny because yes, we do have three girls and the boy was the youngest, now a man and they're women. And um, they probably, well, actually our son would probably say, admit he was a mama's boy and his sisters would say that um did he get away with more being the last yes of course (laughs) i then i now for some families that's true because the parents are worn down i was tired but i was not worn down i was very consistent with things but i saw a bigger picture i had a better perspective yeah he was eight years younger than our first 
And so things that would have really upset me before did not. And he still remembers. I would say, what have you learned from this? He would call me in college and say, mom, I have good news and bad news. Which one do you want first? And I'd say, let's get the bad news out of the way. Some stupid things that he did that kids do in college. And I'd say, what what have you learned from it? And what are you going to do differently? I did not do that with our firstborn. Okay. But I will say you can be more open-minded perhaps with your youngest, but still guide them and help them to make the best choices and experience the consequences of their choice. I can tell you now our son is very successful, very doing quite well. Um, And so did he have it a bit easier? Probably. Probably. Yeah. Um, But things were not just done for him because he was the youngest. Yeah. And And he's fun loving and all of that. That's what the fourth one is. Because, because like, look, Harper has the highest expectations of being my oldest. It's just how it is. Katie and I were more like, we got to get this parent thing right. That's right. That's you right. Know? We only have one chance with her. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah. and then you do learn, oh, I didn't actually have to be that hard on her in that instance. She could have learned that lesson on her own. We didn't have to teach it to her. So, right. so we're get each, each child after Harper, we've let them have a little more freedom, make their own choices, fall off the log into the water, get wet, you know, rather than saying, don't walk on that log. Right, 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 right. Sure, sure. Yeah. And you're learning, you know, and kids don't come with instruction manuals, as I always say. Right. And so you're learning as you go. And um, yeah. So, but I wouldn't worry that your little one is going to uh, not do well in life. Don't go down that parental road of anxiety as so many parents do. No, anxiety is not going to help any of us. No. And all it does is make parents try to control their kids' behavior even more. You know, if I can say something about um, parents, and this was done out of love, but you know about helicopter parenting. Mm-hmm. Now, the term, or the last term I heard about that was Apache helicopter parenting, where parents are like swooping down, yeah. saving their child. Um, there are so many kids, young adults, who are paralyzed by fear of doing the wrong thing, making the wrong mistake. They haven't experienced failure. And so they see failure as the end of the world when failure actually is an opportunity to do things differently, make other choices, right? Because parents saw their child's behavior as a reflection of their own parenting ability. Oh, right. Not. So they controlled the child even more, right? To the point they did their kids a disservice. You know, for example, a kid in high school who knew there was an exam coming, parents are saying you need to study. Yes, or so if they don't study, they fail it. Then the parent writes a note. I'm sorry, my child wasn't feeling better. They need to take the exam again or wasn't you know, feeling well. And then the kid learns it's okay to lie. So there's so many examples of that to the point that parents are calling professors or the dean of college and saying, you will not fail my child in this class. Yes, it, you know, but, but maybe maybe they just needed to learn the lesson that you didn't prepare and you got a bad grade. That doesn't feel, right. that, that doesn't that feel is good. Not a bad. There are natural consequences in, in life, life, right? In life, it, right? 
there, there, there is a well-known parenting person in um, the United States. I won't mention her name, but well-known. And I asked her, I sent a copy of my book and asked her if she'd consider reading it. And she wrote me back and she said, I cannot endorse your book because you talk about consequences. And I remember thinking, life is full of consequences. Yep. And just recently, I have parents who called me that trained, that went through their that parent coaching. And they said, we're still struggling. And... It's it's been interesting, and I know she she does a lot of good for parents. Of course, but when she said, "Now you talk about consequences in your book," and I cannot endorse consequences. So and I thought, I, this is, this may sound a little weird, but uh, before we had kids, we had dogs. And, That's not weird. So did we and, furry kids? <laughs> and but training training our fur babies. I learned you have to be very consistent with the consequence and the reward or else they'll never listen to you. And so when I first started to um, call our dog, if I called him, I needed him to come. Right. Right. And if he didn't, I needed him to know I was going to chase him down until he came over to me. Well, Katie was like, no. So she'd just call him. He wouldn't come. She'd call him. He wouldn't come. She'd call him. He wouldn't come. And it was fine with her. And then eventually he'd come over. Well, and then I also had treats in my pocket. So uh, <laughs> what, what happened is, is that every time I called Copper, he came to me immediately because uh-huh. he knew if, if he didn't, I was going to find him. Well, he knew you meant it. I meant right? it. I meant what I said. I, if I need you to come, and I didn't, you know, I wouldn't abuse it either. I didn't want him to come right. over to me all the time, just when I needed him right. to. So we're That's out, right. we're out in the park. He's chasing a squirrel. I'd say, get over here and he'd come back. Right. But Katie. That's impressive if he's chasing a squirrel and he came back. <laughs> get, oh man, he's a good dog. He's still alive. He's 15. Wow. Yeah. Wow. He's, a, he's a good boy. Uh, yeah. Katie would be like, the dog's not coming in. Matt, will you get him? And I'd go out there and I'd one whistle and he'd be back. Well, I've thought the same way about raising my children. I don't ask much of them. I I hey. don't I don't make many commands. But when I ask them to do something, I know I have to actually back it up because otherwise hey. I'm going to lose them. Because you mean what you say. Yeah. So the number one question, Matt. The number one question I'm asked by parents is, why won't my kids listen to me? Hence why I wrote that ebook that we're offering today. Why won't my kids listen to me? And I look at them and I say, because you train them not to. We all have as parents. If you knew someone was going to tell you five times to do something and you could just push the envelope and wait and procrastinate and hope that they forgot or that they just did it themselves because it was easier, wouldn't you wait? Yes. They're, you know? ju- they're just us. They're just humans. They're very smart. Right. They're very smart. Kids are manipulative and that is not a bad thing. They we are want too. What they want. Parents are manipulative. Yes, absolutely. It's one of the things. Another question is, why do my kids lie? And I said, I had so many parents that used to bring their kids to me thinking they were pathological liars. I said, no, they're lying for two reasons. They don't want to do something you wanted them, you want them to do, like brush their teeth. Yeah, I brush my teeth. Yeah, I brush my teeth. And you know their toothbrush is bone dry. Or they're lying about something they did they don't want to get in trouble for. Mm-hmm. So I always suggest to parents, do not put your child in a position. Did you brush your teeth? 
faith? Yes. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. They'll dig themselves deeper and deeper and deeper. Say to them, okay, your toothbrush is dry. I know you didn't brush. You need to go brush now. Or put responsibility back on them. If they did something that hurt someone or broke something and you know they did it, don't get into, did you? No, I didn't. Yes, you did. I know you did this. What are you going to do to make this better? Mm. To give them a responsibility. And and this is just trusting our children more. And and if you guys have loved this conversation, and please get this ebook, Why Kids Don't Listen, The Five Proven Steps to Motivate Your Kids to Listen Now. Um, you can go to goodmoodshow.com and uh, and sign up for our newsletter and we will send it to you this week. And Bonnie, I know there are people that have just loved this work. They're going to want to read your book like I have and and learn more from you. How, how do people get in touch with you and learn more? So I have a website, bonniecompton.com. Um, I'm here in Charleston. I have a private practice and I only see parents. I see them in my office at the Life Guidance Center in West Ashley or virtually. The other thing, Matt, if I can mention so that people don't get confused, I have another website. Um, it's all part of my healing work. Um, I'm also an end-of-life doula and conscious living and dying coach. So wow. if you Google Bonnie Compton and it comes up Gentle Heart Journeys, that is the one for the grief support end-of-life. But BonnieCompton.com is parenting. Wow. that That is heavy important work that you're doing on the other side. You're, you're bringing them up and you're seeing them transition. Wow. It's, it's a calling for sure. It has to be. Maybe a conversation for another day. Um, it has to, it has to be, it has to be a calling because, you know, and it's a reminder to me to live, you know, people think, oh, that must be so depressing. No, it reminds me to live my life fully every day. I lost my dad and brother nine months apart when I was 16. So, mm. um, yeah, it yeah. was every, every day is precious, isn't it? It is. It is. And that's why I'm so grateful to you for your podcast, because we have choices in life, right? And, you know, all the research about happiness and happiness and happiness can be short lived, but really, it's like, what do we want? And how do we want to live this precious life? with an open heart and listening to our children and letting yes. letting letting our intuition guide us and being inquisitive about how we're parenting. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Bonnie, I'm so glad that uh, Carolyn and the Sophia Institute have connected us. Excited for your talk uh, with the Sophia Thank Institute. Thank you. If I can just say the three-part series starts next week. Uh, it's Wednesday nights, the 11th, 18th, and 25th from 6 to 7.30. It is going to be virtual. Um, two amazing women, moms are speaking um, about pregnancy, motherhood, all sorts of things, um, the 11th and the 18th, and then I'm speaking on the 25th. Oh, so excited for this. And thank you all for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation as much as I have, and we'll see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Good Mood Show with Matt O'Neill. For free resources, videos, and materials about getting into your best moods, head over to thegoodmoodshow.com. And remember, when you feel like your best self, you are your best self. See you next week. Same time, same place.